0: Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point.
1: Welcome to The Point. An opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. What are your biggest fears? That Davos of Defense, the Munich Security Conference or MSC, which focuses on global security and governance, just wrapped up on Sunday and have uh, released uh, very divergent answers from G7 citizens and those from ev- emerging economies. The annual report published ahead of this year's uh, MSC warned of uh, quote unquote lose lose dynamics amid growing geopolitical tensions and rising economic uncertainty, pulling accompanying the report which is called the Munich Security Index 2024 reveals that Western pessimism prevails in contrast to respondents from BRICS countries so what are the differences in the perception of security risks between G7 and emerging countries why is G7 so insecure compared to the BRICS? has the world entered a new era marked by zero-sum thinking I'm pleased to be joined from Munich by Mr. Wang Yao, founder and president of the Think Tank Center for China and Globalization, or CCG. And from Washington, D.C., by Klaus Larraz, professor of history and international affairs at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Gentlemen, welcome to The Point. So a quick note on what the index is all about. It's a survey. Of 32 perceived risks in 12 countries, including G7 developed countries, four BRICS countries, excluding Russia, and Ukraine. In each country, a total of 1,000 samples are collected to give a rough idea of the perception of risks among citizens. Now, the survey only started in 2022, but uh, compared with the last index, the latest findings suggest geopolitical risks such as Russia, the use of nuclear or biological weapons, declined in importance for G7 citizens while the so-called radical Islamic terrorism Iran and autonomous robots and AI shot up in their ranking not necessarily making into the top security risks but the ranking went up significantly for these three factors. So I want to go to Mr. Wang in Munich first. Why do you think these factors have shot up considerably in contrast to the elements, the the factors associated with the the war in Ukraine?
2: Yes, uh, uh, this year, Munich Secure Conference actually issued this uh, report, Lose Lose, which is uh, uh, quite uh, uh important uh, report to uh, to release because uh, it had released at the beginning of the conference i think the the sentiment and also the general feeling uh, of what had happened past year uh, has really impacted this uh, uh, this kind of feeling i think first uh, because of uh, we we are uncertain we're still lingering in the, the russian ukraine conflict and uh, now we added the uh, the palestinian israel conflict in gaza which is uh, still uh, unwinding and uh, in front of the living rooms of, uh, of every uh, global family. that That's probably quite uh, uh, put a, uh, quite a bit of uh, uh, shock to, to all the families and all the citizens in every country to see that uh, uh, the conflict continues. Of course, that also spread over to, to Red Sea that blocked the, the, the transportation in the ocean. So uh, furthermore, I mean, the, the world also, the country is still recovering from pandemic, from slow economy. Uh, like in Germany, I mean the, the GDP growth is is very, very low and uh, uh, and then people felt that uh, they have been affected. And uh, so uh, on the other hand, I think the BRICS countries expanded. For example, uh, last year the BRICS country doubled and also uh, China also uh, achieved the 5.2 uh, GDP growth last year and also uh, recovered quickly from pandemic. So I think there's a lot of contrast, but, but also uh, in general people worry about that. And, uh, and so there's the other... Uh, non-traditional security issues climate yeah. change as uh, also we had a devastating year of the climate change and also ai and uh, digital cyber food security energy security all those contribute to those uh, right. risk factors that people worry about
1: uh, of course some of the, some of these are understandable but uh, it is um my my curiosity is that and I want to ask this question to um, Professor Lara's: why Iran and we're talking about G7 countries we're not talking about countries in the Middle Eastern region you know um, the traditional enemies or rivals Iran of Iran um, that would be understandable that they see Iran as a imminent risk whereas we're talking about the g7 country and they seem to all of a sudden instead of Russia Russia now right now is not the number one but it seems that Iran has been uh, perceived to pose a very big threat to people in G7. How come is that?
0: First of all, uh, it's not clear how reliable these figures really are. They are based on opinion surveys, and the opinion surveys are never that reliable. But if we take them for true and fairly correct, then I think the simple answer to your question, why uh, uh, Russia and Iran are at the top of the list for G7 countries, is really geography. Russia, not anymore.
1: Russia, not anymore. But Iran shot up. Uh, That's what I'm saying. Yeah.
0: uh, yeah, but it's still geography. Iran is not that far from Eastern and Western Europe. And of course, the Gaza war has brought uh, home to us all how influential Iran is in the Middle East. Iran is a close ally of Hamas. They finance Hamas. They finance Hezbollah in Lebanon. They finance terrorist movements in Iraq and Syria. And of course, there is still that unresolved nuclear program by Iran. Are they developing atomic, an atomic bomb or are they not? And all these factors are worrying. And I think think uh, people in Western and Eastern Europe uh, you know uh, are really worried about Iran and that was brought home to them by the war in Gaza and uh, all the circumstances which have gone with it
1: you have talked about some of these accusations which Iran denies which uh, um cannot be backed but cannot be backed up 100% by facts for instance in terms of the nuclear uh, program um, there was an agreement that all major sides agreed to but the united states pulled out of it so um, i want to ask this question are these fears grounded in facts or grounded in media hype in accusations that people don't really know the facts and they're simply told so that iran is a big threat and they're believing that way.
0: Regarding the nuclear program, uh, we don't really know what they intend to do. So far, they haven't developed a nuclear missile. If they still want to do so, we don't know. So basically, people
1: people are being led by public opinion and those who are producing these kind of suspicions. Is that what you're saying?
0: No, there is a likelihood that Iran wants to develop a nuclear weapon, but we don't know. Regarding the financing of Hamas, it is clear that Iran finances Hamas and has done so for many years. That is a matter of fact. Uh, the same applies to Hezbollah and Lebanon. We know the role of Iran in support of these terrorist movements, also in Syria, in Iraq. Uh, and how effective their support is, of course, we don't know for sure. And Iran itself says that it has distanced itself from Hamas and from that terrible attack on uh, Israeli citizens on the seventh of October. But still, uh, the the influence of Iran in the Middle East is pretty clear, in a dire way, in a negative way, and this worries. The uh, average citizen in Western and Eastern Europe I would say and I think in many other countries around the world Iran is a, a, a dubious player it is not someone
1: who is so basically so basically yeah so sorry for interrupting so basically you are saying people have a legitimate fear of these factors um, that uh, they will possibly be excused or it it would be understandable that uh, policymakers act on such fears and adopt policy measures which would protect people from this kind of. Is that what you uh, think or suggesting, Mr. Larry
0: Iran are quite justified and Iran needs to be engaged and needs to be talked to and it needs to be told that it should not finance terrorist uh, organization, including Hamas.
1: Basically, you're saying Iran is the bad guy, that the people in G7 have fear of these bad guys and their fear are well founded. But um, um, Professor Wang, what is your view? Because I don't think uh, people's perception is here 100% well guided by fears. Uh, I am not sure whether their fears are well grounded in facts.
2: Well, I think the uh, the situation actually is uh, is getting a lot of uh, uh, attention. Uh, I mean, also this this poll uh, conducted probably uh, uh, after the the, uh, the uh, uh, you know Hamas and the Israel conflict. Uh, but the thing is that we probably have to look at uh, the historical background, you know, the Palestinian issue. The two-state uh, uh, solution never been implemented, and also uh, Gaza has been uh, locked down into a kind of a big prison uh, style. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of right, lot and of there's stories, nobody course,
1: asking I- that kind of questions, right?
2: Yeah. So, so I think terrorist uh, act was not uh, tolerated in any circumstances. But, but also, uh, I think the Israel reaction. Was overwhelming, and uh, so that probably brought a lot of uh, concern. And of course, uh, uh, the the Iranian was under the sanction for many years. Uh, so I I think that. Uh uh, as you said, the, U, the U.S. pulled out of the nuclear deal that uh, that has actually signed by uh, six, seven parties. Yeah. Well, so I, I think there's many things that needs yeah. to work together on both whole front uh, to yeah. solve those concerns.
1: Well, I'm not trying to defend Iran or anything here because what I'm feeling, what I'm sensing if you compare the, the fluctuation of the biggest uh, risk perceived by G7 countries versus the, the risk perceived by uh, emerging economies, except Russia, you see a, a great fluctuation. It seems that Europeans or G7 citizens are freaking out every year because of different things, whereas people in other parts of the world are much more relaxed. And the G7 citizens are particularly freaking out about geopolitics. I just wonder whether they're being informed properly by their media uh, professionals by their politicians, and whether this kind of fear is being misused to to inform policies that are going to exacerbate the fears for the people in G seven countries instead of the other way around, Professor Laris.
0: Well, I think you know the way uh, you put it, freaking out. That is kind of uh, correct, but why are they lo- freaking
1: out? Why are they oh,
0: freaking out? Have a- they have a lot of reason to freak out russia has invaded ukraine 2 years ago that war has been going on a brutal a very brutal war it has been going on for 2 years is in the uh, in the immediate uh, neighborhood of the baltic states of poland of germany of course they're freaking out who wouldn't be freaking out if your neighbor gets attacked and uh, putin may threaten to invade a nato country uh, this is dangerous stuff the same about iran you know the support of hamas by iran And Hamas then uh, commits atrocities on Israeli citizens. That is, of course, a good reason to freak out. The world feels very insecure and very dangerous. No wonder people are freaking out.
1: The thing is, the question I'm asking, is it the right direction to go in, to, to say, OK, there are these insecurities, so we have to beef up our security spending, our military spending, because this is where I'm seeing a lot of calls are being made for you know, greater uh, resources to be put in to address this kind of insecurity, uh, which will then exacerbate the problem. Um, Mr. Wang, what is your understanding here?
2: That's true. I I think that the, the the like in the Munich Secure Conference last three days, we we felt there's a big mistrust uh, uh, issue there. That uh, that's why they they called uh, the called lose lose because uh, if we do not really uh, have a dialogue and have uh, uh, you know communications and, and standings, if we continue this kind of uh, you know the, the surprises uh, uh, we we're, we're seeing everywhere, uh, that that's really. Uh, we make people worry about the future, and then that's probably re- re- reflected in in, the, in this survey. But of course, uh, uh, whether that uh, there's uh, uh, some other uh, you know issues that has historically hasn't been resolved, or there's a lot of background issue hasn't been talked about. Those are probably we need to take into overall picture on that. Uh, so, so I think uh, particularly you know for Mr. Wang, he actually speech at the Munich stands out to be a. Uh, China would be a stabilizing forces inject a lot of positive uh, forces being a big country that can promote in peace and uh, uh, you know stop the war that uh, China is greatly expecting now uh, with its influence and impact so this is really uh, a good uh, message I think for Mr Wang has been delivering and has been well very well received I, I think that uh, uh, you know, we we, we 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 do not need fear. We need a lot of uh, uh, understanding, dialogue, and uh, you know, communication. Visits. Uh, for instance, Wang Yi has met a number of counterparts at, at Munich, which is great. I mean, we need that. We uh, and also, I think the G7 countries shouldn't really worry or making policy based on. Some of those uh, 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 some uh, um, some substantial fears, and but we we need to really taking an overall picture, but also at the same time addressing all those issues united, is through the United Nations, through the national security council. In in
1: very in one word, Mr. Wang, do you think the discussion, the kind of in insights that are being shared that may influence policy coming out of uh, Munich? Are they on the right path? Because if you're talking about fears and you're trying to address these fears in a short-term perspective, you may end up in a catch-22 situation. The more you invest in military spending instead of in building trust in cooperating in, tr- in reaching out, the more insecure you're going to end up. Absolutely. That, that's
2: what I, I, I uh, spoke about that at Munich. I, I said, you know, the whole world is, is driving up the military budget. I mean, uh, you know, all the, all the NATO countries are uh, aiming at 2% of GDP now, and uh, that's enormous uh, increase. And then if the, everybody uh, drive up the military budget and then reduce the development budget, the green budget, the world is getting more conflict, right. you know, getting okay. more uh, uh, bad, and then yeah. that leads to more... Uh, escalation of the yeah. military exercise.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, I hope I hope these these fears, unfounded or founded, will not be used to inform the kind of dangerous policies which will make people in the G seven countries even less secure about their future. Many thanks to my guests, Wang Huiyao and Klaus Laris. We're going to take a short break and when we come back, Volkswagen cars impounded at U.S. ports due to an electrical component allegedly being produced in western China. How come? Why is the U.S. so fast and furious when it comes to Xinjiang? We all enter this world with a universal greeting. (laughs) We then learn to speak. Hello, how are you? i
3: muy
1: Moye. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world.
3: General Railway Company Deutsche Bahn, the 26th United Nations Climate
1: Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world
0: making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is the point.
1: When it comes to coercing foreign investors away from Xinjiang, America is playing fast I'm furious. Thousands of vehicles manufactured by Volkswagen or Falvey, including Porsche, Bentley and Audi, have been impounded in U.S. ports, reportedly over a Chinese-made component which may have come from Xinjiang in West China. In an official statement, the German carmaker says it's working to rectify a delay in delivering certain vehicles as it replaces the component. The automaker also said that it would discuss, quote-unquote, the future direction of its business in the region. This, despite an audit carried out last year, commissioned by the company, which found no sign of forced labor at its Xinjiang site. In the wake of lies about forced labor being committed there, the U.S. enacted a so-called Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act in June 2022 that bans imports from the region unless it can be proved otherwise why is america so fast and furious in punishing businesses operating in xinjiang can such roadblocks achieve their intended purpose what specifically is the u.s. trying to achieve here by acting based on unproven allegations i'm pleased to be joined in the studio by victor gao chair professor at Suzhou university and from pittsburgh the u.s. by anthony moretti associate professor at robert morris university gentlemen welcome to the point very quickly chinese foreign minister wang yi gave his response to a related question during the Munich Security Conference. Let's take a quick listen.
3: Using forced labor as an excuse to blame China is essentially aiming to take the jobs away from the Uyghur people and make their products unsellable. Is it in line with human dignity? Is it in line with humanitarianism? Is this really safeguarding human rights?
1: So as I said earlier, the company is investigating into the matter and they are in discussion with uh, relevant authorities on the future direction of uh, their operations in Xinjiang. Victor, this could mean that Wei or other foreign businesses that are in similar situation could be forced to close their factory in Xinjiang, which have been feeding not just the Han workers but also the Uyghur population. Is that a promotion of the human rights of Uyghur people in Xinjiang?
4: well first of all the human rights record for the Uyghur people and for people of every other ethnic background in xinjiang is very obvious and it is only those who pretend that they do not want to see that that they want to indulge in their fantasies about the things which actually do not exist in xinjiang therefore I think what the U.S. government is doing is anti-wego people to start with because it's making their livelihood even more difficult, even making their uh, employment, uh, job opportunities uh, more difficult for them therefore we need to see and tell the world what exactly is happening and for these major companies they have very strong legal and compliance department they will check every law every revolution upside down <coughs> downside up for example they want to leave no stone unturned in order to really be very compliant in terms of the laws and regulations therefore this uh, news really was shocking to start with and also it revealed the complete lack of confidence on the part of the US government because what they are doing is not making US great again what they are doing is revealing their sense of inferiority and their sense of uh, vulnerability for example in their own way and they want to weaponize and demonize all these things even have no mercy for uh, the automakers from their allied countries and using such brutal acts against them to well, disrupt normal trade between well the countries
1: there's a saying it is dangerous to be america's enemy it is fatal to be america's allies and i think it's probably proving its worth here professor moretti i want to ask you because that act is in many people's eyes outrageous because the United States is literally saying what must not happen in some other country using its domestic means and based on allegations that have yet to be proven credible solid what if another country just enacts a law and says okay because there's racial discrimination in the United States we're gonna ban imports from the United States that have a slightest suspicion that can that involve workers of color how about that
3: I agree. You know, there there is certainly a series of questions that need to be asked um, in terms of what is the real motivation here. And I don't think it's I don't think there's really any secret. And that is that. Um, the u.s would like to see and germany is certainly in line with this volkswagen essentially remove itself from from the chinese market entirely and you know there is this tension that exists consistently between the aims of the political establishment and the aims of the business establishment um as it exists quite often in, in in western countries and you know what what the what essentially volkswagen is saying at this point is look we surrender And you're absolutely right, if any other organization or any other uh, uh, country tried to create a law such as the one that is on the books in the U.S., the U.S. would look at it and essentially say, we don't care. Um, But of course, if the U.S. does it, then therefore, in the eyes of the Americans, it has to be right.
1: Yeah, uh, that is unfortunate because the United States has been the champion of a fair competition, of free trade, of, you know, level program, of uh, proven innocent until guilty. And here you have a classical case of proven, of guilty until proven innocent. Uh, let's, let's remind our viewers that under this act, uh, Victor, everything that's produced in Xinjiang, cotton, tomatoes, you know, every any any solar panels uh, produced in Xinjiang are banned unless people can prove that it has not involved uh, so-called forced labor. And by the way, Volkswagen had that aud- audition audit last year, which says that it doesn't. But in this case, there's no use to argue. Uh, Because there is no reason that 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 is to be had on the US side, Victor.
4: Well, while such act and its consequences will make it very hard and very harsh for people and producers uh, in Xinjiang, what I'm concerned about is that this act will really turn the presumption of the rule of law and the due process in the United States upside down. And this will be eventually dealing a heavy blow to what the United States has been built upon and eventually it will cause more harm to the United States as a government to the people in the United States and all to the trading partners of the United States, be it allied countries or otherwise.
1: Yeah, Professor Moretti, because the United States has been saying, we want to compete with China, we want to cooperate with China. Uh, On what basis are they competing here? They're possibly competing for investment, competing for markets, but on what rules? Is this what the United States mean by competition? If that is how they're going to compete, this is going to be very unfair.
3: The narrative essentially has been written, and, and we see it time and time and time again. And that is that let's be partners under our rules. Let's agree to more trade under our rules. Um, and again, if, if you take this and flip that coin onto the other side, and if, if, if China or any country were to say to the U.S., let's trade under our rules, the U.S. would essentially laugh and say, no, it's not going to be that way. You know, the reality that is, is um, a difficult for for the, the West to accept is that this notion of the U.S. and the West being the dominant players on the global scene, which was the case mm. basically for the second half of the 20th century, doesn't exist any longer. Yeah. China and Asia provide another a polar where organizations and countries can gravitate
1: and definitely definitely the latest numbers are showing that the US attempt to smear Xinjiang or to uh, bent Xinjiang is not working because last year the trade in and out of Xinjiang jumped by 45 percent that's the largest jump in the entirety of China and especially it's trade with the five Central Asian countries it's exports to these five Central Asian countries jumped by 23%. Victor, is the U.S. barking on the wrong tree and, (laughs) you know, making itself the, the laughingstock? Well,
4: first of all, the United States is indeed barking the wrong tree to start with. On the other hand, I think there are decision makers in the United States who probably thought that they are God or they are the overlord. And whatever they want to do will be accomplished and whatever they even wish will be achieved. The reality is just the opposite. The United States is not a God. The United States is not the overlord. And no matter how they try, Xinjiang will always be part of the Chinese territory. No matter how they try, There are altogether about 200 countries in the world, the majority of which will not care about such U.S. act and they want to deal with Xinjiang as it is. And this will eventually prove that the U.S. act or acts against Xinjiang and uh, denying the rights of the Uyghur people will eventually fail.
1: And uh, Volkswagen is very unlikely, I would say, to pull their business out of China. It will be uh, an idiot to do that, however hard the U.S. tries. Anyway, we have to leave it there. Victor Gal, thank you very much. And Anthony Moretti joining us from the United States. Thank you very much. And with that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Liu Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Liu Xin in Beijing. On behalf of the whole team, thank you for joining us. You've got The Point.